as we study continually through any part of the scriptures, I believe it's very important not to leave anything undone. I see it best to dig deep into anything that's in there so that our understanding is clear and accurate. I don't want to. I don't want to rush things, and and I would like to know exactly what I'm reading. <clears throat> we do this as so so for this reason. As we continue to study, then what we read next can be tied to or hinged off of a correct former understanding. And uh, you never want to move on if you don't understand what you've read in the past. Stay right there until you get a good understanding, and then move on. Don't uh, don't just put something in there so that you so that you can keep going. And we don't always get it right. And uh, sometimes we have to regroup. We have to edit our thoughts and previous understandings, go back, restudy things. But we should try our best always to understand correctly. So in this lesson today, I believe I'll show you how easy it is to, um, to get something wrong or to glean a wrong understanding when you study. And it, it happens to all of us. It's not just, uh, not just one person. Theologians alike they all they all struggle with these things and and we as bible students we struggle with those things we read something we think we have a good understanding or you know and then later on in life we we reread them or we revisit those things with a clear understanding of something else and it brings and sheds light on something that we thought we already knew and uh, we have to get rid of those skeletons out of our closet and maybe revisit things and make sure that we've got it right i love what jerry said last on the sabbath day uh he said, you're as smart about the Bible as you want to be. Yeah. And a man that hit home with me, uh, you fast as much as you want to. You pray as much as you want to. You study as much as you want to. And that is so true. That is so true. There's no restriction to our knowledge. We're all feasible people. We can be educated. We can learn. We can grow. We can study. We can read. And our only restriction is ourselves. Our resources are unlimited. I hope we're all in agreement on that. Yahweh has not limited us. We limit ourselves. If you're, if you're uneducated about the Scripture, it is your own fault because you do not read. Some people may be, like Matthew says, in first grade, and some people may be in twelfth grade. As you learn and grow, and we are you know, forever growing in the Scriptures. But your lack of education is based on your lack of desire to be educated. You can, you can be as smart as you want to. If you want to put your time in, you will grow. You will grow. Grass is prettiest where it's tended and where it's watered. And uh, the, the grass is not greener on the other side of the field. It's greenest where it's taken care of. And so um, I love what he said the other day. We're all, we're, we're as learned and as studied as we want to be. And so with that being said, I'm going to read chapter 6, verses uh, 13 through 17, and then we'll get into the armor of the Christian. But keep in mind, don't let, don't let yourself hold you back from being educated. And that's what it'll be. If you're, if you're uneducated about the Scriptures, it's your, own, it's your own fault. Do your job. Do your due diligence, and you'll, and you'll be educated. So starting in verse 13 of chapter 6, <clears throat> it says, This is why you must take up the full armor of Yahweh, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is Yahweh's word. 
throughout the last couple of sermons, we've talked about the first two parts of the armor of the Christian, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And as we've seen in this in our studies, Paul has been using a Roman soldier as an example or model to derive the Christian attire. I believe he's looking at a soldier while he's in prison, and he sees how well he's equipped for battle. He's looking at him, he says, man, this guy, he's got everything that he needs to protect him. So with this in view, Paul's put together an analogy for us by comparing the physical warfare garments of the soldier to the spiritual warfare garments for a Christian soldier and what we'll need to do battle against Satan. That's the whole context here. We've already covered the very most important part, or at least I believe the most important part of the attire in verse 14. It's the belt of truth and how it signifies readiness or commitment. For me, there's there's no more important thing than this, and that's being committed to Yahweh. And um, I've been thinking about it since I taught on it. It's been present on my mind day and night. It's, it's, it's something that I constantly think about. I keep asking myself, TJ, are you really committed for the battle? All kinds of things go through my mind daily and where I stand with Yahweh, and all my thoughts kind of hinge on that one thing, and and uh, and it's just dedication or com- and commitment. Are you really committed? Are you really dedicated to serving Yahweh? Are you just moseying through life, living life as a as a common man? Am I? Do I really want to keep the Sabbath day? Am I committed to that? It's a command. Am I committed to that? Am I? Am I? Do I really? Do I really love my neighbor? Do I want to be kind to my neighbor? Am I committed to that commandment? Can I swallow my pride and accept humiliation? Am I committed to that? Am I committed to being humble? And it's and and all it is is commitment and dedication to serving Yahweh. Are you are you there? Are you sold out every day? Am I willing to stand for the truth of the Scriptures, no matter what it costs me, and no matter what goes against my flesh? Am I committed to do that? If we have the commitment to start with, I believe that everything else is just going to fall into place. If we just get in line with Yahweh, everything else will just line up. But commitment has to be there first. And keep in mind that this armor is not at all for decoration. When we're talking about the armor of Yahweh, we're going through it piece by piece. This is not a decorative armor. It's not. We're not putting on. We're not putting on fancy clothes to go out and be showboats. This is for. This is. This armor is given for our protection against a spiritual force that is that is strong in everyday life. It is strong and for ever present in everyday life. And Satan's not going to let up. He's not going to quit. He's far too powerful for us. And so we have to be protected. So first, commitment. That's number one. We talked about that a few weeks ago or a couple months ago. Second, the breastplate of righteousness. And we talked about that in our last study. And I told you that the breastplate of righteousness was just practical righteousness. Everyday living. Everyday living that you live for Yahweh. The right way of living. The keeping of Yahweh's commands. The walking in obedience to Yahweh's law. The, the loving your neighbor. The loving your mighty one. That's practical righteousness. How we practice that every day. <clears throat> it was a piece of armor that was to be used daily and worn to protect the breastplate was to be worn to, worn to protect the most vital part of the body precisely the heart in, in the physical sense of the armor precisely the heart and the stomach or the bowels which in Hebrew thought is, um, is used to, you know, to I guess draw a picture of the emotional part of our body and the thinking part of our body the breastplate is extremely important in the battle as it or the battle attire, as it shields and protects us from the flaming darts or the flaming arrows that that Satan may throw our way. 
So we've covered two pieces of the armor thus far, and both have been uh, proven to be important to the Christian as he encounters spiritual deception on a day-to-day basis. And that, that kind of brings me to the next point I'd like to make. You, you need to remember that this, daily atti- this is a daily attire that we should be putting on in verse 13. We talk about being able to resist the devil in the evil day in verse 13. When we talk about this verse, I told you that the evil day was every day. It's not a it's not a certain day that's set out. It's not an end time day. It's not a it's not a day that's on the calendar that's marked off. It's every day. <clears throat> when we talked about this verse, I I know that I mentioned it was an, it was every day, and 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 Satan's not going to rest. He's not going to give us a break. He's not going to take a day off. The more you commit to Yahweh, the more he's going to try to upset that. Mm-hmm. The harder you try to serve him, the harder he's going to try to disrupt disrupt your progress. So. We can't stand a single day without putting on our armor. When you get up in the morning, you need to already be thinking when you climb out of the bed, today's a day that Satan's going to try to stop me from serving Yahweh. And so the first thing that we need to do to, is, is to prepare that day spiritually. We need to get up and we need to think spiritually. We don't need to get up and think about worldly things. We need to get out of the bed with a spiritual mindset. And the way we do this is we get dressed for battle. Every day when you get up, we get com- we get committed. We climb out of bed. When you get out of the bed and you stand, there's your commitment. I'm standing for Yahweh today. I'm gonna I'm gonna commit this day to Yahweh. Then we gird up our loins and with the belt of truth, and then we we don the breastplate of righteousness. We put those things on. We start our day off with prayer, or reading, or something to do with Yahweh. Do something with Yahweh before you take a step and pick up the phone and get your guys started, or before you. Schedule your kids, or before you go make your lunch for that day, make sure the first thing you do is something to do with Yahweh. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that it works. If you'll just do it, make everything you do, start it with Yahweh. It'll end with Yahweh if you'll start with Yahweh. But if you start some other way, you're going to get off throughout the day. Jerry said, have some form of communication. I like what he said on the Sabbath day. Have some form of communication. Eat breakfast with him, so to speak. Dine with him. I think Caitlin made a reference to that, to eat with him. I know that we're not physically eating with Yahweh, but commune with Him. Commune with Him when you wake up. Make sure your day's about Him first and service to Him. And then next, still before anything else in the day, we've got we've to get ready to go out. We've got to get ready to go out in the world, and, that, and that's what we do. And, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm a, I don't walk around barefooted too much, so I'm going to put my shoes on. And, uh, and that's the next part of the armor that we're going to look at today, the examination of the, of the shoes. Paul tells us, uh, in verse 15, to have our feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. All the ladies should like this sermon. We're about to go shoe shopping. So, um, <clears throat> so, um, but before anybody runs off to Foot Locker for some sandals, we're going to keep this in context. And your Bible may say something to this effect. It may say, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That that's more accurate, probably. That's probably a little better translation. Keep in mind that Paul's not talking about a fashion statement with his armor. He's talking about putting on armor for protection against the most cunning adversary known to man. So that's the context here, protection. Think about that when you when you think about the the footwear here of the Roman soldier. Paul says to shod your feet with the preparation. What does he mean exactly? Think about what he's looking at. Paul's not looking at a pair of sketchers on a soldier. That's not what he's that's not what he sees. What he probably sees, and I've I've looked at a bunch of just internet pictures of what first century soldiers would have wore for uh, for footwear, and um, 
What he probably sees is a pair of leather sandals that are tough and protective. They cover the soldier's whole foot, almost like a boot. We think of sandals, I, I call them Muslim Reeboks or Egyptian gravel grippers or something like that, but you know, I just think about sticking your toes through you know, a little thing and that's what you wear. But the um, sandals, sandals of, this, of this caliber are what they would use to, um, to fight a war with. They, they don't look like sandals that we think of. They're hard-bottomed. They have steel spikes on the bottom of them, almost like cleats. They have, most of them wrap all the way to the knee, so they don't just protect the, the foot, but also the shin, things like that. They've had metal, metal studs on the soles, not just for grip, but also uh, for protection against something sticking through the, sticking through the bottom of the, of the shoe, and, or through the bottom of the sandal to keep something from penetrating his feet. As a matter of fact, in those days, armies did this. They would actually sharpen pegs and things like that, and they would go out and bury them in fields where soldiers would cross the fields to do battle, and the opposing army would step on these sharp pegs and it penetrate their feet or penetrate their sandals, and it would render a, a military man or a soldier lame. Okay, And so they had, these, they had these steel spikes and stuff like that on them to give them grip and then also to protect for that. And... In fields where it would take place, it would almost become kind of like a kind of like a landmine where the spikes would stick up and things like that. So a soldier's feet are very important. Crying out loud is their source of mobility. And of course, we 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 still see that in war today. Um, obviously, your feet are necessary in order to travel. And if you can't travel, then you just become a hindrance to whoever's got to drag you along or pick you up or take you wherever they need to take you. I'm thinking, I was thinking when I was writing this sermon, I was thinking about the movie Forrest Gump. It's one of my favorite movies, but I was thinking about Lieutenant Dan stopping that whole platoon when they're going through the, through the jungle over there, and he tells them to take your shoes off and put dry socks on and all that kind of stuff. The last thing you needed was a bunch of soldiers with jungle rock. Their feet were critical. I read, I read that General Washington's men, they used, when their shoes would wear out, they would wrap their feet in linen cloths and stuff like that to protect their feet in order to keep moving, whether it be cold or damp or rough terrain or whatever, but they had to take care of their feet. It was their way of moving. And so, um, you know, shoes wear out, and your feet are important. Your feet are the means of mobility, and a good, what good is a, good, a soldier that can't walk or can't move? And on another note, I've had horses, I guess, all my life, and uh, I've been riding since I was big enough to get on one and um, I think of horses when I see the word shod it just automatically makes me think about shoeing a horse and um, it's the most critical part of a horse's body is his feet it's the most critical part without his feet he's useless as a matter of fact, uh, fact Secretariat most people know who Secretariat is one of the most famous race horses in the world he's buried at Churchill Downs and the only part of that horse that is buried up there, there's three parts, and they do this with all racehorses that they bury, but he's buried there, and the only three parts of his body that is buried is his, is his head, his heart, and his feet. And they say that's all it takes to run for a racehorse, his head, his heart, and his feet. When a horse has bad feet, he's useless. As a matter of fact, most horses in times past were put down for being lame or unable to walk with bad feet. That's not the case so much anymore. We make pasture ornaments out of them now. When they get when they get crippled or lame, we'll retire them and put them in pasture and let them eat grass. But in those days, you didn't feed an animal that wasn't of use. So if he if he didn't work or something like that, you'd put him down and put him out of his misery. And we wouldn't we wouldn't waste the pasture space on a horse that that wasn't a you know benefit to us. But my point is, 
we shoe horses not for not for traction. We shoe horses to protect their feet. Sometimes we even put pads in between the shoe and the horse's foot to protect his foot so he can so he can walk. I've got a horse that I have to do that with because rocks makes his feet sore. So so my point here my point here about the shoes is not is not for looks or anything, but simply for protection. And that's what the armor of Yahweh is for. That this is this is this is an armor to protect us against the against the adversary, the one that will come our way. Um, now Paul compares the Roman sandal to the gospel of peace. And I didn't really understand that. I struggled with that for a minute. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's not language that we would use. It doesn't really make sense to me to say that to shod your feet or to prepare your feet with the gospel of peace. I don't. I didn't understand that. And and I. Or prepare your feet with the gospel of peace. What's that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. It does not mean to put your shoes on and simply go around preaching the gospel. That is not what it means. Unfortunately, most commentators that I read and most theologians that I read, they all are in agreement that that is what it means. That that uh, we need to put our shoes on and go preach the gospel. And And that sounds good. That sounds good, but if you've been studying like we've been studying this book we should have all kind of knowledge to, to know that that's not what it means but but that's their mentality alone boy I've got my shoes of the gospel on and off I go to preach that's kind of their mentality and they mostly get this from Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 it says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things and this is a direct quote or not a direct quote but a quote through the Septuagint of Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 and it says how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring the good news so in Romans 10 15 Paul is talking about the messenger that preaches the gospel how shall they hear without a preacher how shall they preach unless they be sent so in turn how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news and rightly so the gospel must be preached it must be preached. It must be taken and it must be preached. There's no argument there. You won't get an argument out of me. I believe that that is important. That is precisely what Romans 10 is talking about. That's what Paul has in mind in Romans 10. However, that doesn't have anything to do with Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> so I don't feel like preachers should use the armor Paul is telling us to guard ourselves with to teach that we or anyone should be off running with our shoes to preach to the world. That's just not the intent. Ephesians 6 doesn't mention preaching at all. As a matter of fact, what does verse 14 say? It says, stand. Stand. Paul isn't telling you to go anywhere. The preachers want to get off, run off, and preach. But Paul says, stand still. Stand still. There's nothing wrong with preaching the gospel, obviously. Okay. And in Romans 10, Paul is talking about evangelizing the lost and preaching the good news. But in Ephesians 6, Paul is just telling us to stand and fight the devil. This is not evangelism for an unbeliever. This is a conflict for a believer. So the preaching of the gospel is not what Paul has in mind here when talking about dressing our feet with the peace of the gospel. Folks, when we do Bible study, it is important that we maintain the context. And this is what I was talking about at the beginning of the sermon. It would have been real easy for me to just read this passage, surface read it, tie it to Isaiah 52 verse 7 and Romans chapter 10 and 15. 15 and preach that we all need to go out and preach the gospel it would have been fine I could have done it and nobody probably would have even picked up on it they would have said man that was a good sermon we need to go preach I'm going to the nursing home next week that's fine go to the nursing home preach share the gospel with people 
Well, when you preach about Ephesians chapter 6, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. Context is important. And this is, this is a fine example of how people use verses like this to promote their own agendas. Pastors use verses like this to teach whatever they want to teach that, that, that service. And, and that's not what we're, we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be honest and, and diligent with the Scriptures. So don't get me wrong. It's not that the gospel preached is not a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's just not the intent of, in the context of Ephesians chapter 6. And it's not part of our armor. So if that's not the proper interpretation of the phrase, gospel of peace, then what is? What is? What, what does Paul mean? Whoa. What does gospel mean? What does the gospel mean? Is it not the good news? The good news. And peace means what? It just simply means peace. There's no, no misconstruction there with the Greek or anything. It just means peace. It can mean harmony, goodwill, peace, time of, peace, time of war, or something like that. But it simply means peace. And if we put those two together, it's the good news of peace. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And uh, we're going to do a little something right here. I usually like to stay where I'm at in the, in the Bible, but turn with me to Romans 5 and then I want to explain something to you. I'll give you a second to get there. If we want to know what the good news of peace is, we need to find out what it is. And it's not stated right here in Ephesians chapter 6, so we'll have to go somewhere else to get it. <clears throat> it's important because this is what we're going we're gonna to prepare our feet with, the good news of peace. In Romans chapter 5, looking at verse 6, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, here's the picture of fallen man. Helpless, without strength, can't do anything on our own. That's us. Okay? While we are in that state, Christ, Christ died for us. That's what happened. Look at verse 7. For rarely someone will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. So for a bad person, no one would ever give his life up. You wouldn't give your life up for the criminal. That's not, that's not the intent there. But even for a good person, it would be kind of scarce to see somebody die for them. Yeah. Look at verse 8. It says, But Yahweh proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So not only in verse 6, we were weak. In verse 7, we were unjust. But also in verse 8, we're still sinners. Now in verse 9, it says, Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by His blood, we will be saved through Him, speaking of Christ, from wrath. Speaking of Yahweh's wrath. Okay, We are saved from Yahweh's wrath through Him, which is the Messiah. This indicates that we were unjustified, unsaved, and objects of Yahweh's wrath. So this is the picture of fallen man. Verse 6, we're weak. Verse 7, we're unrighteous. Verse 8, we're sinful. Verse 9, we're unjust or unsaved. And then verse 10, we are enemies of the Almighty and deserving of wrath. But even in all this, while we were helpless in and of ourselves, Yeshua died for the ungodly. He died to turn the wrath of Yahweh from us. Praise Yahweh. So now, what is the sum of the gospel? The gospel of peace is the good news that once we were at war with Yahweh, because of our wickedness and our disobedience, we were enemies with the Most High. 
Yahweh was dead set on destroying us. However, because of Yeshua and his perfect life, he has interceded for us and paid a debt that we couldn't pay bringing peace between two parties, that being Yahweh and fallen man. That's what he did for us. And that is the gospel of peace. I hope you see that. Now go back to verse 1 in Romans 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with Yahweh through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. That's the gospel of peace. Guys, it's simple. It's quite simple. It's complex, but it's simple. You were at war with Yahweh, but now you're on the good side. We have a resource. I mean, if you ever if you ever had something that was bothering you in life, and you finally get that monkey off your back, and you get on its good side, there's a there's a rest in that. There's a rest in that, and that's what we, we had a monkey on our back, and it was the Almighty. And when you get on His side, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Okay, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. I'm not uh, sure about you, but I for one do not want to be in opposition to the most powerful force. In heaven and earth. I don't want to be in opposition to that. No. We think it's hard against the devil. Try Yahweh. Yeah. Try that. Yeah. If this is where you are in your walk today, if you're in opposition with what Yahweh because of the way you live or the way you walk or your lack of faith or your lack of hope and trust in Him, mm-hmm. you are a guaranteed loser. Mm-hmm. You will lose. You will not win. <clears throat> but if you have faith in Yeshua and He is your Lord and Master, then as servants to him, you have been reconciled to Yahweh by the blood of him who made peace for you. Amen. It's wonderful. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. We can stand and say, come on, Satan. If you want to, come on. Yahweh is on my side. Mm-hmm. Yahweh is on my side. He won't be defeated, and neither will I. Mm-hmm. Neither will I. I can stand my ground because I have shoes that are immovable. Mm-hmm. Peace has been made between me and my Creator. I have shoes that are immovable. My feet are sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace between me and Yahweh. No matter how much Satan hates you and hates Yahweh, he doesn't win. We've read the end of the book. The, the book says we win. Yahweh wins every time, and we're on his side. We're, we're winners. If we had to stand and fight Satan and all his hosts on our own, we would lose for sure. But with Yahweh on our side, it's never even an option. I'm reminded of Gideon and uh, when he battles the Midianites. Gideon had 32,000 men with him. 32,000 men. And he was still scared. You know, Gideon's supposed to go against Midian. He's still scared. And Yahweh said, Gideon, you just got way too many people. You got way too many people. Get rid of some of them. I don't need 32,000 people, Gideon. So he gets rid of 22,000 people left. 10,000 people remain. And Yahweh told Gideon again, he said, you still got too many people. He said, call them, get him. He said, take them down there to the river, let them drink water, and ones that lap, bring them to me. 300 people remain with Gideon. He said, I'll show you who I am. Not who you are, Gideon. I'll show you who I am. You bring me those 300 people. And so they, Gideon comes with the 300 men, the pitchers and the torches and the trumpets, and y'all know the story and how it goes. But my point is this. Yahweh is Yahweh. He doesn't need 32,000 men. He didn't need 10,000 men. He didn't need 300 men. He didn't need pitchers. He didn't need torches. And he didn't need trumpets. And he didn't need Gideon. He didn't need Gideon. Yahweh is Yahweh because he is Yahweh. Yes. And when yes. he is there, when he's ever present, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where Satan comes. I've already made my peace with him. 
I made peace with Yahweh, and Yahweh is on my side, and I don't care. I don't need doctors. I don't need presidents. I don't need governors. I don't need people like that. I've got Yahweh working with me. I'm on his side. He's on my side, and I've got, I've got a resource that can't be challenged. I think about Elijah in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, the Aramean War. You've read about it, I'm sure. And Elijah keeps eluding the king of Aram, you know. And finally, the man of Yahweh, which is Elijah, has a helper. And the helper goes out and he says, We're surrounded, Elijah. They come to capture us. There's men and chariots all around the, all around the city. What are we going to do? And Elijah says, Open your, Yahweh, open his eyes and let him see. Let him see the resource that you are. Let him see the mountains were covered yes. with chariots of yes. fire. Yes. That's Yahweh at work. That's Yahweh at work. And that's what we have on our side. That is the peace that we have with Yahweh when, when Yeshua has, has, has interceded for us. Wow. That's the peace. And that is the peace, the gospel of peace that we're to shot our feet with. That's what's beautiful about this. When you have that reassurance, when you have that resource of Yahweh behind you, what can what can Satan do to you? What can Satan do to you? He doesn't need an army. Yahweh acts alone. We need to have faith in the fact that peace has already been made between us and Yahweh, and He is on our side, and that settles it. All we have to do is put our trust in the Son of Yahweh, and reconciliation has already been made. At that point, we have a resource to send stop. So, folks, listen to me. The gospel of peace should be preached so that everyone with faith can have this reassurance. For sure, it should be preached. But as it pertains to the armor that we are to bear, it is simply for our protection against the devil. Paul's laying out a perfect spiritual protective clothing for us. If we'll just examine and think about what he's saying, it's, a, it's beautiful how he takes something physical that he's looking at. He's looking at this soldier. You know, a soldier may not mean a whole lot to Paul, but he's looking at this soldier and he sees how he's protected. And he takes that and he twists it. And he, and he uses it, the, the, the protection, and, and draws something spiritual out of it to relay it to us. 2,000 years removed, that's where we're getting it. And we can, we can look at that and see how he uses that to, to build a spiritual barrier between us and the enemy. And if we'll just take the time to dig in a little bit, we can use this to, to aid in our Christian walk. So I asked you today, do you have confidence in your armor? Do you have confidence in what Yahweh has given you to protect yourself with? Do you understand the resources that you have, and are you preparing with them daily? Do you get up every day and prepare yourself with what Yahweh has blessed you with? And are you ready to use them? Brothers and sisters, Yahweh is good. He's good to us. He hasn't left us. Neither has He forsaken us. Amen. So let me say this. Victory is ours. Victory is ours. We've already won the battle. Just use, just use what He's given to, you, given to us. It's available in your life as a child of Yahweh through His only begotten Son. So in closing, I'm going to ask you three questions. Number one, ask yourself these, these questions. Do I really want to win? Am I really committed to Yahweh? Am I committed with the belt of truth? Do I really want to win? Number two, do you seek to live a holy life? Do I have the breastplate of righteousness? When I get up in the morning, is it my intention to walk in the way of Yahweh? Do I get up with a mindset that I'm going to serve Yahweh today, no matter come hell or high water, I'm going to serve Yahweh. No matter what gets in my way, I'm going to love Him. I'm going to keep His commandments. I'm going to walk in His ways. I'm going to honor my, 
mother my father I'm going to love my neighbor I'm going to take care of my wife I'm going to leave my home I'm going to guide my children I'm going to teach them Yahweh's commandments is that what you do when you get up that's number two number three ask yourself am I bold in battle because my feet are firmly established in the gospel of the peace that is made between me and Yahweh ask yourself that if you're running around in doubt and you don't have the full armor of Yahweh you're going to lose you're going to lose. But if you can answer yes to those three questions, you're a winner. Not because you're great, but because the one that's on your side is great. The one that's on your side is great. He's unstoppable. He's unstoppable. There's no confidence like confidence in Yahweh. There's no confidence. I have no confidence in the doctors that work on me. None. None. I, I have battled cancer for a year and a half. I'm still standing here, and praise be to Yahweh and for the doctors that he used, you know, yeah. if they did anything. Yeah. I was sick, found out I was sick, went to the hospital. They told me I was sick. I didn't even know before then. They told me I was sick. I started going on a little diet. I got better. They said I needed treatment. I started taking treatment, and every problem I've had since I've been going to the doctor has been because of treatment they give me. Mm. You know, I still go up there. <laughs> I don't even know why. My, po- my point is, Yahweh's great. He don't need the doctors. Yes, yes, yes. He uses them. I believe that He uses them. But if He wants to heal me, does He need a doctor? No. 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 And people put, people put confidence in everything. But where's the confidence in Yahweh? Yeah. We look at this, this junk for an election and presidential junk that's going on. Man, the candidates that run, and we have confidence in those men. Mm. Why? Mm. There, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a mockery. It's a mockery of any kind of morality. Mm. Like they can save the world, save the country. Come on. Mm. You know, where's Yahweh at? Can he save? Sure he can. Yes. yes. And none of that stuff matters anyway. The spiritual man is what's most important. So, do you have confidence in what Yahweh's giving you? Find peace in that. That's the peace of the gospel. That's the peace of the gospel. Put that on your feet. Cover your feet. Protect yourself from the enemy. I love you, saints. Yahweh, thank you for your mercy. Father, thank you for the for the message. Well, I pray that I didn't uh, do you a disservice. And Yahweh, we just lift you up today. You're great. You're a king. Father, we know that you don't need us, but you allow us to be part of your plan, and so we're so very thankful for that. Father, thank you for reconciling us to yourself by the blood of your only begotten Son. Yahweh, it's a gift that none of us could afford that we take for granted a lot of times that Yahweh we know that we shouldn't so forgive us of our sins and that Father I just pray that you'll continue to bless us help us to be to be strong in you to stand firm in battle and, and uh, commit ourselves and dedicate ourselves to your to your will to your to your cause Father we love you we ask all this in your son's name Amen, Amen.